Good morning, Gospel. I am so thankful to be here. Um, 45 minutes away from Richmond. I'm thankful for your church, and I'm thankful for Jason for inviting me. Uh, again, my name is Marco Rankin. Um, I live out of Richmond. I attend Greenville Grace in Greenville. Yes, it's 30 minutes away, but they preach the, the gospel unadulterated. So wherever the gospel is being preached, pure gospel, that's where my family and I are going to be. Um, we are going to be doing a church plant much like yourself. Out of Greenville Grace, we will be doing a church plant in Richmond. Um, but right now, I work out of Indianapolis ever since COVID-19 hit. I've been working from home, um, but um, right now I've been uh, working from home, but I, I may be working from home throughout next year. So God might be moving some things out of the way. I don't know. So be praying with us, be locking arms with us that God moves in a mighty way for a church plant in Richmond. Amen? Amen. All right. You ready to get in the word? All right. All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Um, Father, what a delight it is for us to gather today as the body of Christ to worship your holy name. Um, thank God that we can gather together without fear of persecution or fear of backlash from the government because we know other brothers and sisters, other believers around the world who are not so fortunate. So thank you, Lord, for planting us in Midwest USA. But we also pray for those elsewhere who can't even mention the name of the Lord without fear of retribution. Lord, for me, I ask that you give me clarity of mind and speech. I ask that you give me accuracy to Hebrews 11, chapter 8 through 16. I ask that you remove me altogether and let it be by your Holy Spirit that speaks to your people. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so I'm about to bring the pain to you a little bit to ask you a couple of questions that you probably weren't prepared for. Um, let's say hypothetically, you and your family were traveling abroad, say to a Middle Eastern country, and the authorities of that country detained you. I'm kind of talking to the men here and, and the women, um, but we as men, we like to protect our families. That's a, that's a thing that God is inherently put inside us. But let's say you traveled, you and your family, to a Middle Eastern, Eastern country, and you were detained, and they took you and your wife and your four kids, I don't know how many kids you have, but I have four, uh, to a holding cell where they interrogate you about your faith in Jesus Christ. They continue to press you and ask you to abandon your faith in Jesus or else would you recant. Let's say you refuse to recant, so they threaten to harm you, harm your spouse, and then harm your kids while in your presence. I'm sorry to bring this to you right now, but this is real because this is happening to brothers and sisters of yours in other countries. But I need you to think about that. Would you abandon your faith in Jesus Christ? You see, I, I realize these are tough questions because I ask myself these same questions, um, but there are real people dealing with this. 
See, as Americans, we live in a free country. We have the luxury of worshiping our Lord without fear of persecution. But you have other brothers and sisters of many tribes and, and tongues who are not so fortunate. I don't know how many of you listen to Janet Parshall in the market, um, but I love her. I absolutely love her. And she always has something interesting to say about Christianity. And one day I was listening to her, and she was talking about a couple of Iranian Christian pastors. You may have heard of them, Saeed Abedini and Youssef Nardakani. They were detained in Iran for their faith uh, in Jesus. The authorities gave these two men an ultimatum, either abandon your Christian faith or suffer the consequences. Now, these Iranian pastors refused. And as a result, they were starved to death. They were beaten. They were tortured. Their family were threatened, all because they believed in Jesus Christ. Now, this demonstration of faith should be encouraging to us, yet convicting, because here you have two Iranian brothers, okay, first started out as Muslims but converted to Christianity, who at some point were, were, were called by God, they repented of their sins and began to follow Christ. While under intense persecution by their government, they did not fold. They did not throw in the towel. They did not abandon the faith. Could we do that under those types of circumstances? You know, I might be willing to, to allow myself to be hurt, tortured, starved, but not my wife, not my kids. That changes the game altogether. Have you ever seriously thought about what if you found yourself into this type of situation? How would you handle it, folks? Chances are, as Americans, you will never ever, ever find yourself in this situation, but it should stir your hearts that you have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are suffering because they love Jesus. Jesus says it like this in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted our Lord Jesus Christ, will they, the world, not persecute you? If the world hates Christ, despises Christ, loathes Christ, then will you not, will you not likewise receive the same treatment? And where I'm going with this is th there was Hebrew persecution. And persecution is the reason why the, the readers or the writer of Hebrews writes a letter to these Hebrew Jewish Christian brothers and sisters because they were suffering persecution both at home in Judea and both abroad in Rome. Some have gotten their homes confiscated. Others have lost their lives. I've even read scenarios where people were burned alive where Christians were thrown into um, the arena for, to be mauled by wild beasts, all because of Jesus. 
all because they, they love Jesus. And they were starting to grow weary. And they were starting to grow tired of being under constant attack. So, so some have stopped gathering together to worship because they feared the government. So God inspires the, the writer, the author of Hebrews to write a letter to appeal to the Hebrews to not shrink back in their faith, but instead to, to hold on by faith to the assurance that they had found in Jesus Christ. So the writer spends some time with them, with the Hebrews, trying to convince them of Jesus's superiority, superiority over Moses, superiority over the law, superiority over, over Melchizedek, superiority over all these things that the Jewish people held dear to them. I'm sure a lot of you remember the, the um, phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's challenging for you and I to teach a person something new, especially if they have been doing things a certain way for so long. The writer of Hebrews is trying to convince stubborn people raised in their Jewish roots, taught that, that it's going to be works righteousness that gets them closer to God. He's trying to get them to turn away from those covenant of works and to turn to a much better covenant, to turn to Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews illuminates for us in chapter 11 Old Testament saints who walked not according to works, but by faith. That even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, you will find grace upon grace upon grace. That's amazing. So as we walk through Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 16, we are first going to talk about what faith is not, what faith is, and then we're going to travel through the four Ps. I think you, you have them up here. The power of faith. Sorry. The pilgrimage of faith. The patience of faith. The power of faith. And the positivism of faith. The pilgrimage of faith. Abraham's separation from the world. The patience of faith. Abraham waits on God's timing the power of faith to give birth to Isaac and ultimately to a nation, and the positivism of faith, Abraham's positivity, even though he doesn't receive the promise. So if you would, please open up your Bibles. I know we already read, but go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 16, and engage yourself in reading and worship and allow the Holy Spirit to work on your hearts and minds. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose 
designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even she, even though she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has pre prepared for them a city. May, the, may God add a blessing to his word. Gospel community, what is faith? What is faith? Before you and I talk about what faith is, let's first talk about what faith is not. The word faith is thrown around a lot among charismatic churches. Do you know what a charismatic church is? It's the, the health, wealth, prosperity church movement that is plaguing our country, okay? That word faith is thrown around a lot because to them, the more you trust, the more stuff you can get out of God. These people talk about faith as if it were an internal personal power that they can conjure up within themselves to get results, to change their outcome, to alter their future. In their world, the more faith that you have, the more you can believe things that are non-existent into existence. In their world, you can go from poverty to wealth, just like that. You can go from shack to mansion. You can go from being sick in your body to being completely healed. Your life could be far better than what it is now if you have the faith. That's what they believe. You don't believe that. Don't be duped by that. You see, it's this false understanding of this faith that have led many people that I personally know to struggle with their walk with Christ. Some have eventually walked away from Christ altogether, and it's, this frustration takes hold in them during situations where there's a crisis, right? right? Somebody loses their home. Somebody gets sick. So they, they prayed the prayer. They mustered up the faith that the charismatic church told them to do, and nothing happened. Nothing happens. Have you ever been there? I certainly have. I came from one. Okay? Thank you, Lord, for, for delivering me. 
Faith is not a power that you or I possess to alter the outcome of our situation. Even if you and I had the power to change our futures, to change our outcome, would you want that responsibility? I mean, I feel safer knowing that the creator of the universe is determining my future. I'm okay with that. So if, I'm, I, if I am to receive wealth, well, then it's his desire. If I am to receive healing in my body, well, then that's part of his plan. The Bible has a lot to say about what faith is. And if you look in Hebrews 11, chapter 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Other translations say that faith is the substance, tangible substance. So when you and I exercise faith, our posture reveals the confidence of an expectation or a hope that we have in God without visible proof of it happening. Faith active in our lives will look to us and to others like God is telling the truth. That, that what God says is the truth, even though we haven't seen it yet. The essence of faith is the assurance that the promises of God are real, they are yes and amen, even though it's not become a reality. Faith looks like us leaning on the spoken words of God, although they are yet to take shape. Amen? So what makes this confidence possible? Well, you can't muster up the faith. It has to come from somewhere. It is only possible because you decided to repent of your sins. You decided to follow Jesus Christ, and he downloads that faith into your spirit. Do you lack faith? It's okay. Some of us do. I do all the time. Do you want more of it? Trust God. If you can do this, then you will experience God at a whole new level. Your faith will be right where it needs to be, anchored in the Lord. So the writer of Hebrews wants to talk about what faith looks like in action. So he talks about Abraham. Do you know Abraham? Had many sons? Had many sons like Father Abraham? I am one of them and so are you. So let's praise the Lord. Come on, guys. Let's, let's all laugh in here. All right. Okay. Thank you. I like the clown, so hopefully you like the clown too. So let me give you a brief recap of Abraham's story. God calls on a man named Abram. He wasn't Abraham yet. He was Abram. And Abram was living with his father and with his wife, Sarai. Her name wasn't Sarah. It was Sarai. They were living together in Haran. God made a covenant with Abram and promised to make his descendants into a great nation. Abram obeyed. 
and started his journey with his wife, his nephew Lot, and their entire household. So Abram ends up in Egypt. Then they left Egypt, Egypt wealthier than what he was before he got there. On his way out, Abram and his whole entourage, they defeat a marauding army, and as a result, they were met by Melchizedek, who blesses them with bread and wine. God comes to Abram again and reminds Abram of his covenant promise. He tells Abram, by this time next year, your wife Sarai is going to have a son. His name is going to be Isaac. Sarai overhears this, and she laughs. She barely laughs. And gives, and so, so God renames Abram to Abraham, meaning father of many, and, and gives Sarai a new name, Sarah. Sarah gives birth to Isaac. The Hebrew meaning of Isaac is he laughs. Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90 years old when, when Isaac was born. So the questions I have for you is this. If the Lord told you to do something as profound as what he told Abraham, would you obey? I'll give you five seconds to think about that. Question number two. Has the Lord told you to do something and you haven't obeyed? You know it. You know. Why not? What are you afraid of? See, I think many of us have believed that God has spoken to us a time or two about something he wanted us to do. An example could be something as simple as giving money to a a vagrant or a, a poor guy stranded on the side of the road. But the dilemma I have faced many times in my life is doubting, is God really talking to me? Like, I don't want to be that that crazy guy that says, God speaks to me. Like, what would my friends think? Like, they're going to think I'm crazy. Have you been there? Where you know God has spoken to you, but you're kind of afraid to, to say something, to acknowledge that he talks to you? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So let me give you a little bit of context. Keep your finger there and turn back with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Okay, verses 1 through 3 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Have you 
ever been inconvenienced? I'm sure you have many times, and if you have kids, being inconvenienced is a, is a way of life. I'm talking to the dads here for a minute. Have you ever gotten yourself prepared for the big game? I don't know if it's Ohio State. For Jason, I know it's the Browns. Okay, don't beat them up after service today. Okay. Um, have you ever, like, gotten ready for the big game? You, you got in your nice, tall glass of crisp Coke. And, and, and for me, it's, it's, it's a heaping plate of nachos with bacon and guacamole, all the trimmings and all the fixings. And you sit down, you're getting ready, and you're like, <laughs> you're, you're so happy. You can't wait to get into it. And the kickoff is about to start. Okay. So you're getting ready. You don't dig into them just yet because you need the kickoff to, to help propel, propel the, the first bite, right? So they're getting ready to line up, and they blow the whistle, and they're right about to kick when all of a sudden your kids blaze through there like a bunch of Tasmanian devils, okay? All you know is that when you look up, the kickoff has already happened, and your whole plate of nachos had been obliterated. The people, the people that you brought into this world just totally devastated you. That's being inconvenienced. Okay, mothers, I have something for you. You've just served and served and poured yourself out for your husband and for your kids. You are dog tired and you need a little mini vacation. So you go to the bathroom <laughs> for about 35, 45 minutes, okay? You set the mood, you got the candles, you got the little Kenny G, you got your book that you like, and, and, and you don't want any, anybody to bother you because you are on your mini vacay, okay? So you settle in and everything is going great. When all of a sudden your littlest one, the little one, the feisty one, the one in charge comes in and is like, bam! What you doing? What's it look like? I'm sure you've been there. That's being inconvenienced. Okay? Think about how inconvenienced Abraham was. A rich man. Enjoying the comforts and elegance. This man had chicken curry. He had lamb kebabs. Anytime he's hungry, he can go to the kitchen and choose whatever he wanted. He has servants. He has fine linen. He, he's living the life of, a, of, of the rich and famous when God tells him to pack everything up and to leave the place where he grew up, to leave his cousins, to leave his uncles, his aunts and stuff, to leave the comforts of his father's house and go to the land that God would eventually reveal to him along the way. God says to Abraham, Abraham, if you go, I promise to make from you a great nation. I promise to make your name great. Abraham, I'm going to bless all the countries of the world through your family. Abraham, will you go? If you go, I am going to bless your socks off. Will you leave behind this beautiful house packed with 
meats and cheeses of every variety to go to a place I will call you. Will you follow me? And Abraham did what, church? He obeyed. Abraham did what, church? He obeyed. Abraham got up, packed his stuff, grabbed his wife, took Lot, his nephew, told his whole entourage, you're coming with me, and set out for Haran. God didn't give him any more details. He didn't share his plans with Abraham. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham heard the call of the Lord and obeyed with action. Abraham had no way of knowing the great nation God referred to in verse 8 would be the nation of Israel. He had no way of knowing the name Abraham would be on the lips of everybody for generations to come. He, he had no way of knowing the messianic promise Jesus would come from his lineage and be a blessing to all the people of every nation. God did not share this information, yet Abraham obeyed, and he acted in faith. Now, I did a little bit of study on the words not knowing, not knowing in verse 8. And what I found is the Greek word for knowing, for knowing is epistemi. So let me read verse 8 to you this way. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not epistemi, where he was going. Epistemi means to put one's attention on, to fix one's thought on, to turn oneself or one's mind to, to put one's thought upon a thing. So I want you to think with me and imagine this. And if you're, you're young and in love, this will be a good illustration for you. So imagine this. A young woman and a young man, they're going to the same college, college together. The young man, epistemi, fixes his thoughts on her way more than she epistemized him. One day, the young woman, or the young man, sees her walking across the lunchroom in his direction. His heart begins to pound, and in all of time and space seemed to pause for a moment. He dreamt of this moment for a long time, and now it was finally about to happen. She comes up to him, and, he said, and she says, Hi, my name is, aren't you the guy in my science class? Would you like to walk with me to class? The girl of his dreams, the girl whom he wanted to spend the rest of his life with, asked him a question, and he had no idea what she asked because she had him at hello. My name 
is. In other words, when the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and, and your kindred and your father's house and then, and then deliver the promises, Abraham fixed, he epistemized uh, uh, the, the whole of his thoughts on God. He, he placed the entirety of his attention and focus on the will of God. The creator in heaven, of heaven and earth was walking over to his table, spoke, and Abraham fell immediately in love. God could have told Abraham to jump off a bridge, and he would have done it. Abraham didn't care about the promises. He could care less. God had Abraham at hello, my name is that's beautiful. So Abraham surrendered his life over, not caring where he was going, just as long as the Lord was with him. How many of us demand that God gives us the details first before we decide if it's in our best interest to act? You see, our society likes to know what dangers are involved first before we agree to do something. Well, maybe not millennials, but, but for some of us older folks, we want to play it safe because there is no time to take a loss. We want to minimize the risk involved in doing something, especially if it's outside of our comfort zone. But gospel community, God calls for obedience, and when he calls for obedience, it always demands a response. If you ignore the call that God has on your life, or you're too scared to act, then you might miss out on something. The journey that he's trying to take you through that he desires for you to experience. So I exhort you, listen for the call of the Lord and obey it. And if we can do this gospel community, we will live a life of transformation, the pilgrimage of faith on the move. So let's look at the patience of faith, verses 9 and 10. I won't read it here for you, but let me sum it up for you. Abraham is with Isaac, the son of the promise, and Jacob, Isaac's son, and they are living in the promised land, but not in an actual building, not in a home. They are li living in drafty, uncomfortable tents. They're nomads, tent dwellers living alongside people who have lived in that region all of their lives. They don't know the language. They don't know the custom. They're living as foreigners. Abraham's entire estate is with him. His household, family, including the people he, he acquired along the way. Abraham is a stranger, and so, and so is Isaac. And so is Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, I think you know the, the story that, that Joseph 
Cain is the son of, of Jacob. And I think you know the rest of the, the story there where Joseph's brother sold him to a group of traders who then sold him to the Egyptians. There, Abraham's descendants will live out the rest of their lives as slaves for 400 years before making their way out to, to the land that flows with milk and honey. Abraham, a wealthy man, had enough money to build a city himself, but he doesn't because he's looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. You see, Abraham's mind was not on earthly things where moth and rust can destroy. Abraham was looking forward to the heavenly, the heavenly Jerusalem. The city with 12 foundations and, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. A holy city coming down from heaven, prepared by God as a bride adorned for her husband. Abraham found patience in the Lord because he knew where he was going. So let me offer you a different way of thinking. Perhaps verse 10 isn't referring to heaven at all. Maybe it is the promises of God that become the homeland for Abraham. Maybe it is the will of God and the kingdom of God that is now his home. Abraham has structured his entire life around God. God is where Abraham now lives. Where, where God is is where Abraham is. The patience of faith. Let's look at the power of faith. The writer of Hebrews wants to talk about Sarah and the promise of giving birth to a child. Hebrews chapter 11 has this to say. Chapter 11, verses 11 through 12, has this to say. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So again, let me give you a little bit of context from Genesis chapter 17 and 18 to catch up to speed regarding Sarah. So God comes to Abraham and tells him Sarah is going to give birth to a child. This promise is monumental for them because Sarah is barren. She's not able to have children at all. And Abraham, his body was as good as dead. The Bible says that when Abraham heard this, he fell on his face and he laughed, shocked at the news. Shocked that he was pushing 100 and Sarah was 90 and now they're going to have to pull all-nighters and change diapers and stuff. In the next chapter, three visitors come to visit Abraham to tell him Sarah will have a son the following year. 
You see, Sarah wasn't part of the conversation. She overheard them saying this to Abraham, but she laughed, okay? And she's thinking, how is it possible for me to have a baby when I am this old? And God replies, is anything impossible for the Lord? You see, you should be comforted by this this illustration here. The writer of Hebrews does a beautiful job by giving us an example of what imperfect, imperfect faith looks like. Yet God blesses. Sarah laughed. Yet God gave her the power to conceive. Doesn't her lack of, of confidence in the Lord disqualify her from receiving the blessing? The answer is no. Showing trust and confidence in the voice of God is not the same thing as being perfect human beings. Still, it's learning how to trust God even in complicated situations, even situations that go against nature like Sarah being barren, yet she's able to have a child. You see, God is the faithful one. He is going to accomplish what he set out to do despite your faith. He tells them in all his promises, I will, I will, I will, I will, promise after promise, the promises of God. He's faithful to deliver them despite our many failings, despite our wrongdoings, despite our best efforts. Sarah lacked faith, so she considered him who was faithful. She considered him who had promised faithful. And it is by his faithfulness to his covenant promises to us that Sarah was able to conceive and give birth. That's the power of faith. It's not you. It's him. Let's look at the positivism of faith. And I don't want to read verses 13 through 16, um, but you can go there if you like. But I, I, I implore you and I, I exhort you to commend these Old Testament saints for not stopping halfway through, but for finishing their race. None of them said, I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm turning back. Abraham had certainly had many opportunities to turn around and go back home, but because his eyes were fixed on God, he went forward. Every one of these saints finished the race, not receiving the promise. And that was okay with them because they knew that that God had an epic plan that even if it didn't involve them seeing it, that they, they were part of it was good enough. And God has a plan for you too. Even some of you, some of you are dreaming for things to happen in your life. 
and it's not quite coming to you quick enough. But just know that, that, that there is a plan behind it. Maybe your son or your daughter is going to take the mantle that you've created and move it forward. God has a plan. You see, I desire, and I know you do too, to have the kind of, of kingdom perspective these saints had that, that no matter the task, no matter the objective, no matter if I don't have all the details, yes, Lord, I heard you and I obey. That's what I want. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were this way. And to us, it reveals the true nature of their affections, which is in God alone. You see, the day that Abraham left his father's house, he counted himself already a vagabond. He, he knew he was, he was going to be a, a sojourner, a person who wandered from place to place without a home. And guess what? He embraced it. You know why? Because he was with God. <laughs> if you're with God, you got everything. These saints weren't looking for a homeland because they had already found it. They found refuge in the arms of God. Nothing else mattered. And that is why God was not ashamed to be called their God. Where are your affections? The positivism of faith, the assurance that God, that it is God who covers, the assurance that it is God who is faithful to us, and it is with this confidence that we can trust God with our lives and with our future. It is with this assurance that we don't have to fear being called to missions in Africa or in the Middle East somewhere. We have the confidence that if we die today in Christ from COVID-19, we'll be home. We'll be in the arms of Jesus. Do you know that? Do you believe that if by faith you believe in Jesus, then God is not ashamed to be called your God. Not because you're awesome, and I think you all are awesome, but because God is awesome. And he is perfect. And he was willingly able to lay down his life so that a bunch of sinners can be called the righteousness of God. Gospel community, where are your affections? Is it on your wealth, your stuff, your trucks and cars, your bank account, your children, your wife, your home, your stuff? I like those things too. But I need to purge myself of those things. And I want you to pray for me that I set my affections on Christ. My affections need to be on Christ. 
So when he calls you, or if he has already called you, listen, obey. Trust that whatever the plans of God are in your life will come to pass. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing us what faith looks like in action through the life of Abraham and Sarah. Thank you that this side of heaven, we get to see the redemptive plan that from the descendants of Abraham would come Jesus. We are comforted by the fact that Abraham was a sinner. He is a, a pagan worshiping false gods, yet you called him. He and Sarah, they even sinned against you by committing adultery and having Ishmael at a wedlock. Yet, by your mercy and grace, you were faithful to deliver the promise. And that promise is Jesus. So now we can enter into your throne room of grace without fear of rejection. We can pray and you will hear us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us we no longer need to work for a seat at the table, but we are already seated by faith with Jesus at the head. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.